Hi, everybody. This is Jesse and Jeff. We are Movies to be Murdered by. And we want to welcome you to a very different episode today. Jeff and I felt that it was more than critical to shrug off our usual format and invite you all in to talk with us about what the heck is going on in this crazy, mixed up, wild world that we are living in right now. Um, so Jeff, I will turn things over to you right now. Okay, well, <clears throat> first I, wanna, I want to thank you for, um, for, you know, agreeing that we can kind of take a, a different route this week um, I know that uh, I don't have to tell anybody what what's going on right now. Um, everyone knows. Um, and I think for us as people of color, um, we 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 have to we have to speak up when there are moments like this that um, that just there's no getting around any of this. There's no uh, putting this to the side. It's got to be met head on. And, right. um, you know, what happened, and I shouldn't even have to say this, but I'm going to, what happened to George Floyd uh, last Monday was a travesty. Um, it was horrible to watch. And it was horrible seeing people that we look to to protect us being the ones that were taking a life. Um, yeah. I would love to tell you that um, this was just so incredibly hard to watch that, you know, I haven't watched it again. But when our society is so used to people being killed by police that they can show these clips on news, on cable television stations, on local uh, television stations. When they can show these video clips, what it says to me is that our society has become numb to what's happened. Um, and I think last week we finally hit a point and, you know, whether you want to say this is contributed to everyone being locked up in the house for the last two or three months and people just said, you know what, screw this enough is enough. Or if enough people just said, you know what, I'm tired of black people being killed by police officers, whatever the, whatever the spark was that started the backlash and the protest uh, and riots, um, I'm glad that we're finally seeing a movement across the country and not in one city, but everywhere. In all the, in all the cities. Yeah, and the, the one thing that I wanna say um, before anyone says, well, you know, do you support 
the rioting and the destruction of property and all this stuff. No, I don't. Um, I don't support it. It's not something. Well, let me back up. I'm not going to say I don't support it. It's not something that I would do. Um, I wouldn't be out there destroying property or anything like that. But what I can tell you is this. There are a lot of people out there destroying property and rioting that have absolutely no point other than to create a, a distraction from this movement. Right. It, it has been documented that there are far right white supremacist groups that are going in pretending to be a part of the Black Lives Matter movement, going in pretending to want to peacefully protest only to go in and hijack these things and destroy property and yeah, infiltrating and infiltrate what people are actually trying to do. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why I responded to this the way that I did, but there was a, uh, there was a tweet earlier from Linda Hogan, who is uh, Hulk Hogan's former wife. And she said, um, when I'm looking at, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but you know, when I'm looking at all of this stuff, all I'm seeing is the, and, and I wish that I was joking when I said this, all I see is the Afro-Americans are the only ones that are rioting and destroying property. Um, if they want to be heard, they need to be civilized about it. Um, mm -hmm. Not surprising. Not surprising, for one, but that's the type of ignorance that exists in our country. Um, when you get people that are watching Fox News all the time, and if you watch Fox News, you know, sorry, not sorry for, for what I'm about to say. But if you watch Fox News, probably 95% of what you see on Fox News is a load of crap. Um, Absolutely. Because they don't care about telling the entire story. They care about upholding Donald Trump and his crap. And they care about spin. And, you know, and I'm not saying that CNN, MSNBC, or any of those are any better. Um, but I can tell you this, I can, I can watch CNN and get a little more in the middle of, of what's going on. Listen, I can watch CNN and not feel like I have to take a cold shower afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, at, at the very least, there's that. Right. So, you know, for me... Um, I've had a lot of people ask me, um, Jeff, how do you feel? Like, how, how, how are you doing? And, you know, that's a, it's a loaded question because there's a part of me that's incredibly angry. There's a part of me that is incredibly sad. And there's another part of me that wants to do something about it. Um, I'm tired of talking about this. Like I'm tired of, I'm tired of talking about how 
what we should do when another black person gets killed by a police officer in this murder. I don't, I, I don't really care what somebody says, well, you know, oh, he was resisting. No, it's murder. It's murder. If you look at that video, he was not resisting. That it's impossible officer, to, it's, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, Jessica. No, it's, impossible to, it's impossible to resist in that position that he had him in, you know, and then it goes without words. He, you know, you watch the video, you don't even have to watch the whole video. You see a still image of what, of what happened. And there's just, it's, it's all right there. You can't, you cannot deny that. Yep. Yep. And, you know, like I'm, I'm going to apologize right now because I'm, I'm getting emotional right now. Just, um, just talking about it. But um, I want to, for those of you that are listening and may, maybe you, um, maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe you have friends that are, that are black and, and you just don't know what to do and you just don't know what to say, or maybe you just don't understand why all of this is such a big deal. I'm going to share with you three stories, if it's okay, um, of how it is to be a black man in America. Um, when I, I want to say I was either nine or 10 years old. This was around, um, this was right around the time of the, uh, Rodney King, um, beating and all of that. And, um, I, I forget how old I was. I don't know. But, um, I watched, I was with my grandparents that night and, um, my grandfather, um, who my grandfather was a great man. And, um, I remember sitting on his lap and the tears were just rolling down his face. And he looks at me and says, Jeff, son, I thought that when I was going through all the things that I went through growing up and my grandfather was born in 1928. Um, he said, I thought that going through all I went through marching and, you know, he got locked up one time, you know, for marching and protesting. He said, I thought that when we were doing that, it was going to make a difference. And he said, son, I'm seeing right now that nothing's really changed. He said, I want your generation to find a better way to make this change possible. He said, because if you don't, you're going to be my age one day saying this to your grandkids. Um, fast forward a little bit to when I was 14 years old. Um, and, and for those of you who are not aware, these are conversations that happen in black homes because they're necessary, because it's the difference between life or death. 
when I was 14, um, my father said, um, all right, I got to talk to you about something. Um, because I, you know, we were fixing up a car and I was getting ready to try for my license in a few months when I was turning 15. And uh, he said, we got to talk about something. He says today, I got to show you what to do when you get stopped by the police. And I was looking at him like, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Um, and I don't want any th anyone to think that this was the first time that I heard about racism or had dealt with it. I mean, growing up, I grew up here in the South and I got called the N word a lot. Um, you know, had, you know, had things said to me and, um, you know, so I had dealt with racism, but this was a turning point for me. So my dad, pretends that he's a police officer and before we before he did that he's like okay if if a police officer pulls you over as soon as you pull over and you put your car in park and you turn off the engine as soon as you do that you need to have your license registration and proof of insurance on the dashboard before the cop gets to your car because he said, I don't want you digging for anything. You can't dig for anything. Your hands have to be visible the entire time. Keep your hands on the steering wheel the entire time. So, you know, like I'm asking him questions and he, you know, he's saying all this stuff. So then he goes back and he pretends to be a police officer. And, you know, he has me put everything up so we can actually do this for real this time. And, um, he comes back and I didn't have my proof of insurance out fast enough. And as he's walking up to the car, I'm in my um, center console getting out my proof of insurance. And my dad comes to the window and says, bang. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, son, if you get pulled over and you do that, chances are you may get shot because they don't they don't know and they're not going to ask you if you have a weapon they're just going to assume so then fast forward um i was in college at this point and um me and some of my friends, we were at a, uh, a house party. Um, and we were coming back. And, you know, at that point, I was this young college kid. So I had some dark tenant windows and my system was blaring and, you know, we were having a good time. Um, now, mind you, I didn't drink because I knew I was driving. Um, I did not drink. Um, my friends were drinking at the party, but not, you know, not drunk. And I get pulled over. And the police officer comes up and I have my hands on the steering wheel and I have the all my stuff on the dashboard and um, I give it to him. And uh, one of my friends just asked like, sir, you know, can, can we ask why, why you pulled our friend over? 
And he says, well, it just looked like a suspicious vehicle. And I asked him, I was like, well, you know, was my tent too dark? It, you know, my, was my radio too loud? You know, if that's the case, I'm sorry. And um, he says, I see how it is. We got a bunch of smart ass niggers in the car tonight. Well, we're going to teach you a lesson. So they, he makes us get out, him and his partner, and then they call for another car. And, um, you know, like always, when a black person gets pulled over and um, they get pulled out of the car, um, they call for one car and three or four show up. So they handcuffed us and laid us in the road. And you know, the police officer saying, you know, we're going to teach you, teach you boys a lesson tonight. And we're all, we're all laying down there crying and not sure what's going to happen. Um, one of my friends start praying. We, you know, I start praying and then, um, this lady pulls up and, um, sorry. Um, this lady pulls up and she says, um, officers, what, you know, what did these boys do? And the police officer was like, you know, they, you know, we're, we're, we're handling this. There's nothing for you, for you to be worried about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she says, well, I'm going to stay here until either you take them to jail or, you know, whatever you do. Um, and, you know, they're still being kind of rough with us. And then I can hear her say, well, maybe I should give the sheriff a call. I, I know him really well. We go to church together. Maybe if I did that, um, he could come down and help sort things out. So, you know, not, not a few minutes after that, they start to uncuff us and let us go. And um, we all thank the woman. And uh, she says, you know, um, she said, years ago, I probably would have felt like those police officers. I probably would have treated you that way. She said, but my, my daughter married a black man. And all of the negative stereotypes and all of the things that I felt before went away because I got to know him as a person. And she says, I can look at you kids and, you know, you seem to be you know, college kids, so that you got that going for you. And um, she said, you were very respectful, everything that I heard. Um, and there was no point in you guys being treated like that. She says, so um, if I can help, if I could help in any way, that's what I was going to do. And I'm glad that I did. Um, all of those things are things that I've gone through. I haven't mentioned the fact that every time I go into a department store or something like that, I get followed around by people that work there. Um, I didn't mention the fact that, you know, when people look at me, they automatically assume that I, that I have no education. Um, but those are things that I've gone through because this world is so screwed up when it comes to how they see 
black faces. Um, I have, and this, and this is what bothers me the most about all of this. I have two sons that are biracial and I have a daughter that's biracial. My biggest fear is for the two boys because even though they're biracial, when the world sees them, they see black boys. My oldest was in school. I want to say he was in the first grade. And he came home and he said, he said, Daddy, I got a question for you. He says, why did someone call me a monkey at school? He said, I don't really think I look like a monkey. He said, he said, yeah, I know I got big ears, but I don't really think I look like a monkey. And I just, I started crying because I'm like, you got to be kidding me that six-year-olds mm. are doing crap like this. And it's I said, yeah. It's what they hear and they come yeah. back and repeat it, especially at that age. They're taught that. Um. And I said, son, for the one thing I want you to know is that sometimes people will have things to say about you because of the color of your skin. And that's not your fault. It's their problem. But here's what I want you to do. If, if something like that happens again, number one, do not respond to them with anger. And two, go tell someone in charge, whether that's your teacher or principal, whoever, as soon as possible. Because what people don't realize is when someone calls me the N-word, more often than not, I, ha I just have to take it. Because if I'm violent with that person, I've done exactly what they want me to do. And it falls back on you. It doesn't matter. It, you know, it doesn't. Not going, even if it gets sorted out in the end, to it, begin with, it's going to be, it's going to be, you did this to that person. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I'd love to tell you guys that I've never been looked over or passed over for a job that I know that I'm more than qualified for. Um, but when they see my face, I don't fit the culture. I've been told that before. You just don't fit our, our corporate culture. Um, oh, Lord. So when people ask me how I feel, about this I think I'm justified in feeling every way that I said I felt earlier um, agreed and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this too and um, then Jesse we can just kind of talk back and forth but um, if you're in a interracial relationship 
um, if your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner um, is black or a person of color, please, 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 please be genuine in why you're with that person. Um, because more than likely, you're going to have to pick up the mantle as well in terms of fighting the uh, social injustice. Um, it, you're going to be put into a situation where you can't be indifferent. Because when you're indifferent, it not only signals to the people that are bringing this injustice against you that you're not all in. But more importantly, it shows the person that you're with that you don't have their back 100%. It, it should not be some type of fetish or something else like, you know, I, I'll go ahead and just say it like it is. Why not? If you if you're someone that's like, hey, I just want to sleep with a black guy. You know what? That's great if that's what you want to do. But if that's what you want to do and you want to you want a relationship out of it, you got to be willing to, to take what's going to come along with that. And unfortunately, it's not all roses and rainbows. You're going to go to a place where people are going to look at you and roll their eyes. If they're bold, they'll say something to you. That's something that's going to happen. So if you're not all in, if it's just a sexual thing or anything like that, then you know what? Just leave it alone. Because or I guarantee you. Go ahead. Keep it a one. Keep it a one night stand. That's you it. Know? That's it. Don't throw. Don't throw. Don't throw feelings and promises into the mix. Exactly, because it's difficult enough just being a black man in America, and you throw around dating a white woman. I can't tell you how many death threats I've gotten because I was married to. A white woman. I can't tell you how many times uh, since me and her split up, how many people have called me a deadbeat dad because I'm not living right there with my kids. Without knowing everything that I've been through. Sir. No, it's okay. Sorry. without knowing how much I try to be in my kids' lives. So I'm sick of the stereotypes. I'm just, I'm sick of it because we're people too. I'm a human being just like anybody else. Sorry. You have to be sorry. People need to hear this. 
So. It's unfortunate to say the absolute least that people will always jump to conclusions and fill in their own blanks with the most negative storylines on situations they don't know anything about. Specifically with what, we're t with what we're talking about right now, you know, with racial relations. But in general, I mean, you see this just with people gossiping and, and wanting to know and then whatever they don't know about, about their neighbors, about friends, about family, they'll fill in the blanks with the worst, you know, ideas possible and act like, you know, act like that's the truth. And all of those behaviors on a daily basis, like each of us, just in our individual homes, by our individual selves, add up to these general stereotypes that we end up, you know, living by. And specifically with the deadbeat dad situation is what you're talking about. You know, that is a nasty, a nasty, nasty stereotype. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about that. You know, we could say like, oh, if it was a white man, they wouldn't assume that they would assume he's got a job somewhere else and he's, you know, providing for his family, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't even want to get into all of that because it's just fueling the fire when the fire is already blazing right now. Right. Um, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing everything that you shared with me and with our audience. Um, I know a lot of, I know we have a lot of white listeners and I know a good amount of them. <laughs> and um, I know if they could say, you know, thanks for sharing your story, they would. Um, when, as we're recording today, um, Tuesday, June 2nd, on social media has been designated Blackout Tuesday, which is um, a day when people post um, a black square I'm just thinking of Instagram because that's the social media platform that I'm primarily on. I don't know what's uh, too much of what's going on Twitter and what's going they're on doing, Facebook. They're doing the same on Twitter. Okay. Today. And I'm, I'm going to assume on Facebook, they're doing the same. Yeah. Um, maybe some of the other um, platforms too, but I, again, I'm not on them, so I can't speak to that. But, um, and so one thing I wanted to say was if you, I was, I think that it's important today that we recognize today is a good day for all of us to kind of quiet down and let people who need to speak up and speak out about their experiences, about what's what they're going through today and what they went through yesterday and what they went through 20 years ago and how every day of their lives has been affected by this disgusting and satanic racism that we have sewn into the fabric of this American flag um, because it's something that has been there and has remained there. But going back to your point, Jeff, about like me, like you were talking about, like maybe one of the reasons people were so incited has something to do with the fact that we've all been under quarantine and stay at home orders for these last couple of months. But 
you know, but people are also using that idea, that notion um, as to explain why people are rioting now and not just protesting, but why there's a small faction that's rioting and, you know, setting the cities on fire and looting. Um, I think that what occurred to me as you were talking is that I think that the stay at home, there's no way that the stay at home orders have not affected people's reactions to this horrific story and this horrific murder of George Floyd specifically that it's sort of like, you know, reached its climax and that people have responded in um, mostly peaceful protesting ways with some, you know, obviously some violent and, and trashing ways. But I think one of the reasons would be is that you mentioned like, you know, it's just, we've seen, we've seen instances of police brutality on the television before. We've seen it reflected in films. We've seen lots of musicians, you know, make songs about it. Uh, I mean, sorry, we've heard lots of musicians make songs. We've, we've read books, we've read articles. We, we are aware of it, but I think the reason why I finally pushed everyone to this state of shock slash proactivity is that we're, it, we've been in this super vulnerable state for the last two months with all of us feeling like COVID could come and get us at any time. You know, it's this silent, uh, it's this silent killer, right? Where, and, and, and so we have felt a collective vulnerability around the world and, and in this country um, until only recently where suddenly, you know, everyday, you know, idiots feel like they're Rambo and they're just going to blast their way through COVID, but that's a whole nother conversation. But like until recently, people were very, very, very scared, um, felt very vulnerable, um, we weren't leaving our, we're not leaving our houses. Um, and w knowing that we have to depend on, we're very vulnerable to our emergency medical technicians, to the police, to, you know, any, any, any people that maintain order in our society. So to see that completely and disgustingly violated the way that it was violated when that police officer kept his knee on George Floyd's neck, even though he was screaming that he couldn't breathe. I mean, I, I can't. To see it violated like that is just to see that, oh my God, like this is how, this is how it is to be vulnerable, to be vulnerable to possibly be murdered to have someone we know murdered, to have someone in our society murdered for no reason. Somebody who was there and have this soldier, so to speak, of order, someone who's supposed to be protecting society's way of being, completely piss all over it and take this person's life and have all of those other officers surrounding that, not doing anything is just too 
much to bear for all of us who are not black and have not been personally affected by such an instance before. And I'm calling it out for what it is. You know, I'm, I'm 100% Ecuadorian. That's in South America for those of you who don't know. Okay, my parents were immigrants who came over. Um, but, but, and I, so I've experienced, uh, I will say a certain level of racism throughout my entire life, but I have never experienced a violent racism to that extent. And that is a reality that African-American people in this country have had to deal with. This is an, like a multi, multi, multi-generational trauma. I'm not speaking for African-Americans. I'm just reflecting back on what I have had told to me by Black friends, by Black teachers. And so I think that, Jeff, I mean, that's just, that's sort of like where I'm coming from in my understanding. I've Since I was a child, and, and this bears no difference on anything other than I just want to say it like since I was a child um, because I was blessed with parents who were just good-hearted people you know um, I've been always aware of the other of the underdog of that that person those people that have been looked aside or looked at askance because they're different because they're poor because they're disabled because they don't speak the language, you know, um, any number of stupid reasons that people give to treating other people who are different from them horribly. So I've always like, just wondered, you know, in the back of my mind, since I was a little kid, like, what is it that we can do to make things better when everything feels so overwhelmingly toxic? Like, you know, um, what, what can I do? And I've just been, I've been, I've come back to that feeling, you know, um, in this past week. Anytime that yeah. I've like seen an instance, I live in a very, I live, I right now I live in the suburbs of New York City. I live in a very affluent, very white um, village. Um, and I've seen situations where I saw a situation on my street where a couple of, um, African-American teenagers were walking down my street. They had duffel bags with them. I know they were leaving the nearby foster care facility and probably making their way down to the train to go, you know, to go visit friends or family because we we live along the Hudson River. We live close to New York City. We live close to upstate New York. We're right in the middle. So you get on that train and go anywhere, you know, um, any number of big cities you can get to. Um, so I don't think anything of it until I see a police car pull up. And I live on a small street, okay? I'm talking about it's a, it's a, on the other side of the street is a one-way street. I mean, it's it's a tiny little dead end street, and I'm and I'm seeing police officer come out, you know, big burly white guy, 
just like all the police officers here. And immediately I run out the door and I stay and I go and I stand on my on my front lawn to keep guard and to watch to make sure that nothing happens to these two boys. Because and I've felt all of this shame for so many different reasons. It's not about me. You know, I'm a person of color too. And I was terrified just watching the police officer, just looking at and standing there. I was like, he could come over here and ask me what the fuck I'm doing on this, you know, on this street because I'm, you know, one of two people in my entire neighborhood, surrounding neighborhood that are not white, you know? And so I'm, I'm shaking, but I'm shaking also for them thinking, how they might be feeling right now, getting, getting, having to, he emptied out their, he made them empty out their bags and he made them empty out their bags. And it just, I'll never forget that. They're just standing there like being humiliated. And then finally, when they were allowed to go, they left and the cop came over to talk to me and he assumed that I was standing there. I'll never forget this. He assumed that I was standing there because I was fearful of those kids being in front of my house and yard and explaining to me that, oh no, nothing's going on. They're actually, you know, they're probably just, you know, they're, they're trying to leave the foster care house and this happens often and you don't have to worry you can go back it's okay everything's all right and I told him I was like I wanted to make sure that nothing was going to happen to them why did you empty out their bags you know and the the conversation ended then obviously but it was just I mean it was just like a moment I mean you're just a given a moment's glance into what happens to other people in this country and it's scary and maddening and embarrassing on all different kinds of levels. You know, I was embarrassed for myself that I somehow I felt embarrassed that I couldn't help them more. You know, I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to say. I thought the best I could do is be here to watch so that if anything happens, I can, I can be the one to say, no, like this happened to them or, or, or try to stop if anything foul, you know, started happening. But I don't know, it was just, just some ramblings <clears throat> that came to my mind. The, the, one, Does, the one thing, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and that doesn't mean I deserve any sort of prize at all. It just is another moment where to the level, of, to the extent of racism that I've <laughs> I say received because as you know there's like nothing you can do to stop people from serving it to you when they're hell-bent on doing it <laughs> right. to the level of extent you know it's never <laughs> I I cannot say that I have been like I said I mentioned before I cannot say that I've ever been you know other recipient of like a violent um, confrontation yeah, or one I, that could have, or one that could have ended that way, you know. Yeah. What the other thing, one thing I want to make sure that people understand about all of this is that this is not about white versus black. 
um, it, it's not about that at all. It's about a race of people that have been marginalized for generations. Um, at one point, we were seen as property. Then our government counted us as three-fifths of a person. What that means, I have no idea. And it's almost as if people still see us as less than a complete human being. So I don't want anyone to think that this is about white versus black, because if you approach it from that standpoint, you're, you're not, you don't understand what the struggle is. It's about a group of people being looked at as equals. And I, I mean, I can truthfully say, I don't, when I, when I'm, when I'm applying for a job, or when I'm, when I, whatever I'm doing, nine times out of 10, there's at least one person who doesn't want to see me there. And, you know, like I've been on jobs where living, living in New York, in New York state, I had a job where I was the general manager of a Speedway gas station. And I had a gentleman that came in and he said to me, oh, so they couldn't find any good white boys. They had to bring in another nigger to run this store. When I rang up his transaction and gave him the total, he slid the money on the counter to me. And when I go to give him his change, he said, no, you put it on the counter. I'm not touching anything a nigger touches. That's not about white or black. That's about seeing me as less than a human being. Right. So that's where I want people to understand where where this is all coming from. This is about this is about us getting fair treatment, equal treatment. I mean, we don't we don't have enough time on this podcast or any other to go through all of the instances where black people have been marginalized and mistreated by our government, by our justice system, and just by mm -hmm. everyday people. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we just don't have enough time. I could, we could go back two or three years and we still wouldn't have enough time. Because what people don't understand is that the names like George Floyd Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Travion Martin, Walter Scott, Ahmaud Arbery. Those are the names that you know about because it was covered by the media. 
there are thousands that never get one second of media attention. I want you to think about that. There are black men and women that die every day at the hands of police that are killed by people who just think it's their duty to rid the world of black people. And they, those things are never covered. I want, I, I want everybody to think about that. All of the names that you know about, that's a fraction, a very small fraction of the people who's, who've lost their lives. And, you know, I, I read this the other day and it's kind of, I mean, I, I feel this way. That night when I got pulled, when we got pulled over by that police officer, mm -hmm. I could have been a hashtag. Mm -hmm. Like I, I could have been one of the names that people say, well, this person got killed by a police officer. Right. And that's scary. That is so scary. And the other thing that I, that I want to say, too, is people just feel like I shouldn't be emotional about this. Okay, you should just keep fighting. You, you know, you, you should just find the strength to fight. Everybody gets tired. Mm -hmm. And you get to a point where you get tired of fighting. You get tired of always having to do more just to prove yourself. You get tired of always, of never, I mean, of never getting the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. People constantly assume the worst of you. And that, it gets tiring. So when I when I'm crying, when I'm upset, mostly it's because I'm tired. That's why I cry. Because I'm tired. I mean, just last week I updated my resume and I started to apply to all of these jobs. And you know, I was really excited about it and like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, you know, somebody's going to call me back. Well, I haven't gotten a call back. And, and having this conversation with someone, I, I wonder, is it because I decided to update my resume and put my picture on it? Hmm. Because now you can't hide behind the fact that you talk to me over the phone and you assume one thing. And now when you bring me in person, it's something different. Mm -hmm. And the person asked me, are you going to take your picture off of your resume? And I said, hell no. And they said, well, why not? I said, because when I, when someone looks at my resume, I want them to know who and what they're getting. 
And if they don't want me to be a part of their organization, that's their loss, not mine, because I bring a hell of a lot to the table. Hell yeah. Also, do you want to go work for somebody who's, you know, not going to hire you because, you know, because of what you look like? Like, absolutely. All right. Like, just did me a favor, too. You know what I mean? Like, thanks. I don't I wouldn't want to work for them anyway. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, what does that person mean? And I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to come down on anybody. So Mm -hmm. person, whoever you are. You know, I'm not coming down on you, but like, but what does that person mean exactly? Like, oh, you need to kind of suck it up and fight. Like, what exactly does fighting look like? Because to me, fighting is just, in this case, just existing. Yeah. Your existence and your, you know, just your continued existence is, is like, you know, is the fight itself. Like what you said, like you're freaking tired. You're tired of having to go through everything that you go through in this sense of in this aspect of your life, which colors all the other aspects of your life, frankly, right, right. you know? And I mean, look at how crazed, you know, non-black people have gotten this week. So many, you know, so many tears shed, so many, you know, protests, all this stuff, all these emotions. And what we're saying, like they're reacting to, to the, George Floyd incident and and I'm not I'm not coming down on anyone I'm just saying like you know and that's one hideous and vulgar and and heartbreaking incident but that's one incident out of like what you said like we could we we don't have enough airtime to like you know to talk about all the grievances all the awful acts of violence um of, of, of passive aggression, you know, that black people have had to endure. So people are losing their minds over this one incident. Can you imagine that one incident multiplied over the course of a lifetime, you know, and you being emotional or any person being emotional and being like, you know, saying like, I need, I want a break. I want a break from this. I just need a break. Like, you know, which is not even what you have said, but uh, what I guess this person is assuming that you're applying. Um, I mean, that's, I think that's a little bit more than reasonable. I think anybody under any circumstances that, you know, that occur, one instance would be enough. Multiply that out. I think you've got people who ha- who are suffering from, like I mentioned before, like this multi-generational trauma, you know, that you've had to carry because your your very existence is the fight that you're continuing on and at the same time it's it that all of that is so stressful you know it's so stressful yeah i can't even imagine yeah and I, and i think a lot of times um people will say well you you got to be strong it's about not I think the thing that they were trying to get across is, across is not showing weakness, but it's like, it's not weakness, it's vulnerability, it's human emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm tired. I mean, if you, if you get beaten on enough, you, you can't take it forever. 
You have to say, okay, enough is enough. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's why for me, and, and, and if we have any, if we have some, some listeners that are black and, you know, you're, you're listening to this and you're, you're thinking about, you know, all of the generations of everything that we've been through. That's why it's so important to put mental health as a priority in your life. Because you may be angry or you may be depressed and you're just like, why do I feel this way? I, I said this, um, I said this to my therapist. I said, I feel like the oppression of black people has led to many cases of undiagnosed depression. There are people walking around out there angry, sad, and they don't know why. Mm. Well, this is why. Because when you're constantly told and shown by others that you're inferior, it places a chip on your shoulder. Or it makes you think that what they're saying is true. Mm. And if you hear it enough, you know, like I, I've, I've heard it so, so much throughout my life that personally I'd gotten to a point where I believed it. I believed that I wasn't good enough. That I wasn't good enough to get this job. Or I wasn't good enough for this person to understand my struggle or I wasn't good enough for a relationship. I believe those things. I don't now, but that's because I've been working my ass off in terms of therapy. Mm. Like if you, if, if, if you're feeling that way, see a therapist and you know what, maybe you don't need to go every week. I'm not saying that you have to go every week, but no one ever says anything about a person get a, getting an annual physical. So why the hell should people say anything about going in and taking care of your mental health? Agreed, a thousand percent. And, you know, and I, and I just think that people overlook that. People overlook the emotional and mental abuse that black people take when it comes to situations like this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's important, I mean, to, to advocate for, for mental health and, and going in and getting checked out and talking to a therapist. And I, I'm not, and people automatically assume that if you go to a therapist that you got to be on medication, all this stuff. It's not true. Like I, I just wish that people would stop stigmatizing that too. But I mean, at, at some point, basically at some point, this all has to change. And 
I'm not going to get too political right now with what I'm about to say, because this situation has nothing to do with if, with uh, you voting for someone who has an R or a D beside their name. This is about right and wrong. That's it. It's right and wrong. And if you're a Christian and you take your faith seriously, then I hope that you feel like I feel about our Bible in a place of worship being used as a prop for a photo op. Um, I hope that, you know, if you, if you truly care about everyone and you love everyone, regardless of race, that you get offended when someone is peacefully protesting and has consulted with the military on what is respectable or not as it comes to protesting during a national anthem. I hope you're offended by that same person being called a son of a bitch and losing his job because he was peacefully protesting. Because guess what? People hated when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. But they hate the fact that there are thousands of people protesting right now in the streets telling us to act civilized. When Colin Kaepernick acted civilized, what was the response to him? What, what was the reaction? And listen, I served in the military as well. I had no problem with him taking a knee. But you can't have it, and you can't have it both ways. You can't say that he's a son of a bitch for taking a knee during a song and then call people thugs for protesting. So that's as political as I'm going to get. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just piggyback off of you for one second. Yeah. Because I am a Catholic woman. Um, and I also just want to address the non-believers in our audience that anybody who says that they are Christian or Catholic and that they love Jesus and that they worship in Jesus's name and that they follow the scripture and listen to his message and show any of you a hard time for not believing, you could just write them off right away. That's just my, my two cents. You know, I, I, I think that if we are to have respect for everybody as we claim that we should, that means everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And not just everybody who looks like you, acts like you, practices faith like you. That means everybody, you know. It's not on you to, to judge anybody else. 
um, in any of those aspects. I know this is like, you know, sort of like kindergarten, you know, right and wrongs, but I'm just going to put it out there because I'm tired of being quiet about that. So just a little aside, not to detract at all from what we're talking about, but um, I agree with you, uh, Jeff. I was total, I was one of the things I've been most appalled about um, in terms of the side, sort of like the sidebar conversations that have been going on. Mm -hmm. um, this past week has been hearing people rant and rave about how, um, that what they're calling riots, you know, um, and what they're calling, which are, which often are just peaceful protests, um, as we are allowed to do as citizens of the United States of America. Yes. Um, we are allowed to protest uh, what we don't agree with. Um, people are, you know, having such a hard time with that. Um, one, to see the reaction of the police forces and the military um, to see the, the, how, how different the reactions are to the protests with um, the COVID, all the people who are lined up. Um, I'm glad you brought guns, that up. I'm glad you brought guns. it up because I yeah, was with, going to. <laughs> yeah, with guns on state property, like, you know, and the police are just kind of standing there just, all right, we'll just wait, you know, no big deal. And then seeing how reactive they are to people protesting, holding up signs, you know, et cetera, um, protesting what happened in Minnesota to George Floyd and then in Kentucky to Breonna Taylor and Georgia to Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, um, it's just, it's disgusting to say the least. Um, it's, that's been hard to watch and then to hear about people condemning what looks like, to be honestly, what I've seen on all of the news outlets and just from knowing people myself who are going out protesting, it seems to be more of like the younger people, you know, on the younger side that are out protesting and saying that that's so wrong when, but when people have peacefully protested, as you just, as you just said, with the football player, um, that tearing people in half, you know, people getting so wound up and just like, you know, losing their top, like over someone <laughs> very creatively and very respectively, you know, taking a stance. Um, it's just really mind boggling. I don't know that we can understand this type of behavior. I think it's just people wanting to be hateful, to be honest. Maybe I'm too cynical. I don't know. But there comes a point in time where I'm just listening to enough of to enough people say the same thing or reading, you know, enough of the same people saying the same thing. And you start getting the feeling like there's there's a lot of hate and a lot of resentment and a lot of like just nastiness. People just ready to lay it all out. I mean, look at look at how quickly the situation in Central Park with Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper happened how quickly I watched the video of that that happened so fast that she went right to the place of saying like I'm going to tell them it's an African-American man harassing me and threatening me and then how quickly her voice went from when from saying like yeah I, I I'm calling to report some this this man's harassing me to 
act her voice changed so fast and acting like she was in imminent danger mm-hmm. it's so quick you mm-hmm. know and i just it's like everything else in our culture everything else in our culture has been accelerating and accelerating and accelerating and now it's just the hate is just accelerating and it just happens in the, in the blink of an eye yeah i you mean and, and think about this i want you to think about this for a second with that whole situation Mm-hmm. She was so hell-bent mm-hmm. on calling the cops and doing that to Christian Cooper that did you see what she did was doing to her dog? Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was it was really awful. Her dog was for those of you who haven't seen it and it's it's pretty graphic, but her dog was caught and on his she was holding her dog by the collar because she refused to put him on the leash to his own detriment that he was twisting around in his own collar and choking the entire time that she's going on about this. Her poor dog is, she's holding, she's holding him up in the air and he's choking on his own collar and she won't put him down and put the leash on him because she's just so wrapped up in like getting her vengeance on this man who asked her to put the leash on the dog. Which, as a dog owner, I loathe people who do not keep their dogs on leashes because I think it's really irresponsible to do that to your dog. And, you know, that first and foremost, your dog could get hurt. Okay, I'm, you know, this is our podcast. I'm using it as a bully pulpit. Listen, you better keep your dog on a leash, everybody. Because, you know what? You don't know. Plus, look, I, I own a dog. I own a big German Shepherd. Okay. I know that he scares people. He's the biggest puppy, but I know to, to look at him, if you have any sort of fear of dogs or if you have a child, a small child, he looks like, you know, menacing, you know, and I'm not out to menace anyone. I'm not that selfish that I need to be like, hey, peace and love. I'm so freewheeling. This is San Francisco. We have my dog off my leash and just chilling out and vegging out, you know, that, that I need to like be that way so badly that I can't think of other people and put my dog on a leash and all, and not just that, even if, all right, say you don't like people, you're a dog person, you only like dogs, like, think of your dog. What if your dog runs out into the street? What if your dog, what if someone comes at your dog? You can't protect them if they're not on a leash. I've known people who have run over dogs because they've not been on leashes, then they feel terrible about it. They're just, they're, they get, like, I had one friend who ran over a dog, it wasn't on purpose. The dog literally ran out in the street. He was, there was no way for him to stop the car. He ran over the dog, killed the dog, was so broken up about it. He didn't even, he couldn't get over it, you know? So I don't want to hear it from anybody who lets their dog off a leash and thinks that that's the way it should be. Screw you. And plus, have, if any of you, I mean, I know we have, you know, a good amount of listeners here in New York, but those of you who don't live in New York, Central Park is a huge place with a million little ways to get lost a million little ways they have it's so big they have like they they call different areas of the park by different names you know like that that area they were in apparently was the bird watching area with its own name i forget what it is now but like it's you know and i heard and i read um I read that like one of the members of the board of some overseeing of the park or something, I'm bad with remembering names and whatnot. So just forgive me everybody. But um, I did read this, that he wanted to get um, this Amy Cooper woman 
banned for life from the park. And I'm sure people are pro and against that. I'm pro that because I think in this case, that's a, that is making a useful example of somebody and their disgusting behavior towards another human being, towards the, the animal that she had and towards the park itself. Central Park is not a hateful place. It's like New York City is. It's huge. It's full of people. You know, you get the good and the bad. You get some shady activity. You get some lots of non-shady activity. But somebody like her does not need to be going to Central Park anymore. Sorry. You're going to act like that. You're going to, in essence, threaten a man's life. You're, you're, gonna, you're sitting there like choking your dog. You know, nobody wants you. Just get out. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm being too hateful now. I don't, I don't know, but I'm, no. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of hearing people. <clears throat> of, I'm so tired of hearing about people acting dumb, hateful, you know, and privileged because I live in such a privileged area. It's not even fun. It's not even the worst privilege. The worst privileges are like in the villages that I don't even live in, the super rich areas like Scarsdale, et cetera. Um, those places, oh my gosh, you, you wouldn't, you, you would just, you would, you would probably just drop dead in, in, in laughter, actually, because it's so ridiculous, it's absurd. Anyway, um, I'm just really tired of white privilege myself, honestly. I have been for a long time. I don't really talk about it that much because I live in a white neighborhood. I live in a very white area. I'm married to um, a white person. So I often feel like if I'm taken to task on the surface of things, it will look bad and I don't have any, any leg to stand on. But I'm not going to believe that myself anymore. I do have a leg to stand on. I, don't, I didn't marry someone who was born and raised with a silver spoon in their mouth. You know, um, I married a good man who works to help people who are literally unable to help themselves in a public justice forum for the state of New York. Um, and I'm very proud of him. And I'm also very grateful every single day that I live in a pretty neighborhood in a pretty area. What I don't, what I don't feel good about is people that live in these areas. And it's not, I'm not speaking about uh, most of my neighbors. Most of my neighbors are caring, um, social welfare-minded people. But there are people, lots of people that I live near, um, and this isn't just unique to me. New York, Southern New York and New York City is a hell of an expensive area to live in. So I don't, I'm not saying I'm so unique in this. This is a lot of people who live in the areas that get exposed on television, et cetera. I'm tired of white people in this area when, when like thinking that this is all for them and not to, and not to be open to other people. I'm tired of going to stores like I have been since I was younger than like when I was a tween ever since then and onward going to any sort of stores and having the store owner not look at me, not talk to me, not say hello to me, but be very vocal and, and, and gracious to the white people that enter the store. 
I'm tired of people thinking that I don't speak English. I'm tired of the people who have assumed that my child was my, um, that I was their, that I was his nanny. I'm tired because we, because I'm darker skinned and he's fair like his father. Tired of bringing my father-in-law places when I take him to his dentist appointment. My father-in-law is elderly, by the way. Um, and people always assuming that I'm his nurse's aide. Um, um, it's like I said, Jeff, it's not to the extent where, you know, people are hurling um, racial epithets at me, but oftentimes they don't have to. Right. I've had so many experiences that I recognize now that I was too naive to even understand that they happen because I am not white with white people in this town, in, in New York, you know, um, anywhere. And it's situations where people will just start screaming at me, um, you know, where, where a simple uh, word or two would have sufficed. And after like repeating enough of these stories to my husband or coming home in tears or coming home just shaking, you know, and, and having to um, just like go to bed or have, have some water and then just, you know, kind of check out for the rest of the day. Um, have I realized, and like my husband has kind of also brought it up that, you know, and I've realized like these could be like, you know, <laughs> racially charged situations. And it's just because I don't see people that way, you know, what I, mean? I wouldn't expect them to look at me that way, but when when they happen again and again and again, and I know it's not a result of any sort of behavior on my end, um, then I have to wonder, you know, I wonder why my husband goes out, does the same things, same errands, goes to the same places and doesn't, doesn't have these things happen to him. You know, it wears on you. Yeah. It really wears on you. I'm, I'm tired of feeling like I can't say things because I don't want to offend the vast majority of white people, cause et cetera, et cetera, you know, when I'm not trying to offend anybody, you know, when this whole thing happened with George Floyd and I thought to myself, I'm glad that my husband and I have always kept an open dialogue with my son, with our son about race relations, about the history of African-Americans in this country and not whitewashing it, you know, Anything you can tell kids, you can adjust for their age without losing the integrity of what you're trying to tell them, I believe. You know, you don't have to show them a picture of someone being lynched, anyone, but you can explain to them in an age-appropriate way that they'll understand that, you know, people have been killed repeatedly, you know? So, you know, after this happened, I was looking for, like, a way to talk to him about this level, this like hyper violence um, in an age appropriate way. And I, I found some good articles and resources and I sent them to my neighbor to, uh, I sent it, you know, to, to my neighbors. Um, all of them are white. And uh, I had one neighbor, one neighbor liked, you know, the, the article and the resource I sent and the fact that I commented, you know, that said, you know, I basically, I said, like, this is an important thing that we need to talk to all children about, especially white children. 
you know, right now they need to understand their privilege um, and ways and, and, and ways to educate them. We need to, as parents, we need to get behind this, you know? And I only had one person actually reach out to me and say that, that, you know, tell me sort of like what, what page her and her family were on with speak, speaking to their kids and then come back at me with another book that she'd found as a resource and then ultimately tell me that she was, she was going to address this issue directly with her kids or something that she, they'd never done before. You know, I mean, that's one out of like, I don't know, eight different people that were on that message loop. But I felt like at least I could do that. Right. At least that's something I can do. I can donate money, which I have. You know, I donated, I found an organization that provides, um, helps to provide um, black women and girls with free therapy, with money to like, and resources for free therapy. Um, Cause I feel like right now, I'm just the, just the part in the story where they mentioned George Floyd calling out for his mom. As a mother, just thinking also about Amadou Diallo's mother. I know George Floyd's mother had passed away, but thinking of Amadou Diallo's mother, how she outlived her son, as a mother, it's, it's, it's too heartbreaking. And I felt like what I can do is try to get help to women who need help dealing with these violent acts perpetrated against their family members, against members of their community, of their church, of just of the world, you know, having to cope with every, all the stresses that come along with being a mother and then dealing with violence. I felt like that was a good organization to donate to. But in terms of what do I do, you know, how do I help? I thought I could help by making mention and speaking out to the people that surround me who have kids who are inevitably going to be the ones in positions of power because they're white and they have money and just say something, you know, just freaking say something to them. And I don't care if it makes me look, however it may make me look to them, you know, just saying something, saying like, listen, say something to your kids, even if they didn't listen to me, even if they didn't click on the link, even if they didn't read everything, it doesn't matter. Someone else was, someone maybe the only person in their lives, who knows, was saying to them, you need to say something to your kids. It's your responsibility, you know? I gave another, um, a white girl that I'm friends with on Instagram asked me for a list of resources of books that she could share with her kids. So I did that, you know, and I don't know what else to do. I feel like I'm not really doing enough and that's not really the point of this conversation, but it may be something that somebody else out there is feeling also, you know, I'm a person of color and I've seen the arguments about how people of color, it's not your responsibility to like, you know, dig white people out of this hole or help them out of this hole. They need to do it for themselves. And I agree with that, but I also just agree with just being a good member and being of service to my community, um, wherever I'm at, you know, when I'm on Instagram, that's my community. 
you know, when I'm here and I'm part of a, a neighborhood texting, you know, um, big, you know, a big texting connection, then I need to, you know, say something on that. But right, I just wanted to share that. Maybe somebody out there too feels the same way or similarly. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I think, I do, I mean, I, I have had quite a few people ask me, what can I do? And the first thing that I'll say is whatever you feel comfortable doing, um, whether it's donating to causes like you mentioned, um, but you know, the, I think the first place that you have to start is having real conversations with, I mean, if you have friends that are black, if you have friends that are people of color, ha having a real raw conversation and don't, this is one of my favorite quotes and I wish I could remember who said it, but don't listen with the intent of responding. Listen mm -hmm. with the intent of listening and hearing the information that's being shared. Um, that goes such a long way. Just listening. Just, a, just having that open dialogue. Because I guarantee you what will happen in all of this is that you'll hear something that you just did not think was ever possible in this country. I mean, I, I had, I have a really good friend who I told him the story about my dad teaching me, you know, what to do when you get stopped by the police. And he's like, like, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. And I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you right now. I mean, my oldest is 11. And I mean, you know, fortunately, we've been able to talk about some of these things. But I mean, at some point soon, in the next several years, I fear that I'm going to have to have the same training session with him that my father had with me. And that makes me sad and it makes me angry that we're at this place in our country, in our society, still. And, and what's been done to, I mean, honestly, in the last few years, what's been done to bridge the gap? I mean, Charlotte, apparently Charlottesville wasn't bad enough to make people change their thought pattern. Walter Scott getting shot in the back. Dylan Roof going into a church where he was invited in because the people that invited him, invited him in thought he was there to pray and worship with them. 
he ends up killing all of them. Like I thought that would have done it. But it didn't. So what so at some point and you know if you if you want to attribute it to politics and things like that you know the biggest way to make a statement with that is on november 3rd make your voice heard mm-hmm. and that's and and that's you know something i challenge people with is that if you don't like the way things are going in in government go vote go vote locally yeah. go vote go vote like at the smaller elections too yeah. people people don't uh, often don't focus on the smaller elections and those actually count oftentimes even more so than the bigger ones because it's a chain reaction these people get voted in they are the ones who hold wield influence in your small sphere exactly you know where you live where you are where you eat where you work you know and also these things line up to service the top dogs you know so you want to make change like jeff said also you know we have to all and i you know i've been guilty of this myself of you know ignoring the the smaller local elections you know my husband's the one who's always pestering me like hey 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 did you read up did you pick the did, you, did yeah. you pick did you pick you know your candidate come on you know jesse yeah. like, okay but he's right and you're right you know it's it's so important because you know i i, I really get discouraged when i hear people say well my i'm no i'm only one vote yeah you know your your vote counts as one but guess what it matters because that's a right that we have in this country is to vote. You know that that's a right that we're that that we that we have is to vote and make our voices heard. And if you don't like something, then then you need to say something about it. Another thing that needs to change as well. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a newspaper person and I report on these things, but go to your local council meetings. Like, mate, you don't you don't have to go to every single one because they're boring as crap for the most part. But go because if you if something is passed in your local community and you don't like it. Well, chances are it was voted on and approved at a council meeting. So if you want your voice to be heard, go make it be heard. Every single council meeting in the United States, no matter what town or community you live in, has a public comments portion of the meeting. Every single one. If you feel like something is going on in your community that you don't like, or should be addressed, speak up about it. Absolutely. Well, I, I will say that, you know, we'll kind of wrapping up here. We'll, we'll be back Friday with a, um, 
with a review of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to try and you know take take people's minds off of everything that's going on and mine included because honestly I haven't watched a single movie this week I haven't watched a movie since last I think maybe Wednesday Hmm. and it'll be a good distraction to watch a movie but with that being said just because we're doing that doesn't mean that the work is going to stop. Um, we're going to continue to be vocal about everything that's going on. And, you know, my hope is that, um, is that people just wake up and see things for what they really are. And, you know, if you're critical, if you still just don't understand it, if you're like, well, that's just a load of crap, you know, black people just need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. You know what? You're welcome to have your opinion. But I know what I live day to day. I know how people respond to me. I know how people treat me. And I know that my experiences are very real. And there are enough articles and videos and media coverage out there to prove that what we've been saying for years is also very real. Mm -hmm. So if you choose to still be in the dark about all of this, then it's exactly that. You're making that choice to be ignorant. You're making the choice to bury your head in the sand. And maybe none of this affects you right now, but it will. Some point in your life, someone that you know, someone that you care about, they're going to be impacted by this and hopefully not in a way that is um, fatal. fatal. Yeah. Hopefully it's not in a way that's fatal. But my goodness. Yeah. I, I Again, Jesse, thank you for um, having this conversation with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I'm I'm so glad that you wanted to. And I'm so grateful to hear your experiences. Yeah. And that, you know, like I said, I mean, that's just, that's just a snapshot, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, there's so many different things. No, I'm just gonna say, like, I'm sure you have a thousand other stories. Yeah. You know, um, I I did want to say that I just wanted to make mention if you are looking for something to watch that is appropriate for right now um, on Netflix, there is a series called trial by media and you can watch um, any of those episodes I think are important towards understanding how the media 
um, influences, um, you know, the, the criminal justice system in this country and, and also just how it looks at it. But um, specifically, there is an episode on the tragedy of what happened to Amadou Diallo. Yes. And that one is very um, appropriate and timely to watch right now. Also, um, I know this is a, a super popular movie and lots of people have already seen it, but, um, well, two movies actually, um, but um, both by Spike Lee. Um, <clears throat> the first one, if you, haven't, if you haven't watched the epic of Malcolm X, the movie yeah. is just called X, you should really take a look at it and watch it. Um, Denzel does a really great, um, and close, um, he, he does, he, he, he portrays Malcolm X very closely to how his speech rhythms and everything, how he was in real life. Um, you can also get a, a broader sense just by his own family's history and the fact that it, the movie spans different decades. Um, you get a sense of some African-American history right there. Um, and do the right thing, which is more contemporary. Um, it takes place in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, New York City, um, but it does speak pretty much exactly to what's going on right now. Um, Spike Lee definitely took his influences from real life events, and unfortunately, the pattern has repeated over and over and over again with so it makes the movie really timely um and both of them are amazing movies um both of them have amazing um book books that came out that he wrote about the making of both of those movies um i read them they're incredible um i know spike is often like the poster child for um african-american cinema um but for good reason because he's a master so if you haven't seen those movies or if you haven't seen them in a long time and you're looking for something, um, please give them a, another watch. Again, the trial by media is, is another good one. And then of course the wildly popular documentary series that came out earlier this year about Malcolm X. Um, I forget which platform it's on. I don't know if it's Netflix or if it was Amazon, but um, yeah, those are some those are some to watch. Um, some books to read. Anything by Audre Lorde um, is, is probably helpful right now. Um, an amazing poet, an amazing writer. Um, she will touch your heart. I can often only read a little bit, like little bites of her writing because it hits so hard um, in a gentle way that I end up crying and <laughs> And emotional um but um she's amazing so give her give her a look one one other show on netflix that i have to uh i have to recommend is when they see us um by ava D, uh, duvernay mm -hmm. um have you seen that, Jesse? No, I haven't. It um, it covers the story of the Central Park Five. 
Oh, wait a minute. Yes, yes, I did see that. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, um, heart. <laughs> that's that's a that's a really powerful one. Yeah, um, and if you, I don't, I'm not going to go into details about the movie or the actual events. If you want to know about the Central Park Five, just look it up. Um, there's information out there about it and what takes place surrounding those events. And yeah, just um, just a powerful, powerful uh, mini series. And um, yeah, it's just wow. Just thinking about it is um, yeah. is something else. So, and then we'll, like Jeff said, we'll come back on. We'll come back to you guys on Friday, and we'll talk more things horror, um, horror on the small screen, because as it does, horror is a really good channel for processing all of the real life horrors that happen in our daily lives. That sometimes get too much to bear. It's good to extrapolate and filter. And horror movies can, can be that. They can do that for a lot of us. Um, That's one of the things that I admire so much about the genre. So we will see you then. Jeff, thank you again for talking. And um, as always, I'm so happy just that we're friends. Yes. <laughs> and we're podcast mates. And I'm happy to sail on this ship with you. So thank you all for listening. We really appreciate all of you. And go forth um, in peace. Be peaceful to each other. I know that's what I know that's what um, what God would have us say, right? Jesus. That's right. And if you're not a believer, then just go forth and be peaceful just because it is the right thing to do by your conscience. <laughs> thank you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye.